Welcome everyone to today's MedTech Business Academy Women in MedTech episode. I'm your host, Colleen Patterson, joined by Abby Norfleet from the Women in MedTech team. Also with us today is founder and CEO of Checkable Medical, Patty Post. Patty founded Checkable in 2019 to help families like hers save time and reduce the cost of care through innovative at-home testing kits designed to help people make clinical evidence-based decisions from the comfort of home. With accurate test results, easy to administer tests, and a mobile app connecting you to telemedicine and prescription providers, individuals and families can now test, diagnose, and get prescribed in a matter of minutes, not hours. Welcome, Patty. We're excited to have you here. So Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we're really excited. So let's go ahead and kick us off. You know, Patty, you've had such an absolutely dynamic career in med tech. You've your career's evolved. You've been in sales. You've you've been a lot of different roles. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you decided to make the leap into founding your own organization? I come from a background of sales, which isn't typical for leading a med tech company. And it's sort of crazy because I had this insatiable need to get into medical device sales. And that was inspired by my brother who is in ophthalmology sales, cataract lenses and um, anything in the ophthalmic space. And I, that was the first company that I worked for out of college. It was a, a cataract lens distribution company. And uh, I really fell in love with the marketing and sales of medical devices, uh, but I needed more experience. So went and worked for UPS for a few years. And then it took me 62 interviews to get my first medical de- device job. Um, and I think that really set me up to be a CEO and fundraise and have so many no's to get to the yes. Uh, so I carried a bag, um, worked for um, Verathon, Striker, um, capital equipment. It's a tough sale, but you, you, a lot of resilience is learned, um, persistence, perseverance. Uh, and then I was recruited for a clinical research organization that I had no idea what that was, but it was someone that I lived by in my neighborhood and they were looking for someone to run business development out of Minneapolis. Um, you know, the heart of med tech is how Mm -hmm. we put it. And, I, it was an awesome opportunity for me, just learning the preclinical research that needs to be done, biocompatibility, the clinical research, post-market surveillance, and everything in between, um, and knowing enough about the commercialization of, about a medical device, putting it all together really gave me this like understanding, sort of a jack of all trades. I didn't know too much of anything, like I wasn't a subject matter expert in one thing, it gave me enough confidence to know that I could see this test in a different setting and then how to get it from a clinic into the home. So that's my um, vast crew. When I left um, industry, I was working for a, a research organ, or I'm sorry, a consulting company that was working just with medical device companies, commercialization strategies, things like that. 62 interviews is definitely perseverance. You know, it's it's not easy to get told no that many times, you know, whether you're talking about venture capital or, you know, even just the interview process. Do you have any, you know, thoughts on how to maintain that, that it, it's going to happen? I've got to focus on my vision attitude when you feel like every time you turn around, you're just being told no. 
Oh yeah. I'm, I'm like living it right now in the company, actually. Um, you have to continually think that you are making progress and be really confident in that progress that you're making despite the rejection, because that rejection can really sit with you. And if we end up sitting in the rejection rather than leaning in and, and identifying, okay, I learned something in this process and thinking of those 62 interviews, I got to be the final second final two candidate twice. So if you think of that, like that's like nine interviews for nine, 10 interviews, like flying, visiting with other reps, me like, and they didn't choose me. And it's almost like going to the altar and being abandoned. And I, I really learned then that I can't measure myself and how I feel about myself because others, their opinion of me. And that just has really, it's helped in sales. It's helped in how I conduct my business, my relationships. Um, And you have to be willing to sort of be like, take feedback is a gift, apply it, but you don't have to apply 100% of everything. And you have to be okay with that. You're not always the right fit. Yeah. What was the, just out of curiosity, what was the timeline of those 62 interviews? I had the same reaction as Colleen when I heard that. And it's, it's great to see you sitting here and telling that story, but what was that timeline? Uh, It was a year and a half. Okay. So I worked with two different recruiters mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, there was a lot of just first interviews, a lot of, uh, if you, if you try to get into med tech sales without any med tech experience, you are lucky to get that first interview because they want, they don't really want to have you cut your teeth at their company. They want you to already have that down. But think of how hard that is, right? right? Like you have to, so there's a, and especially for Stryker getting into that company is really hard going through the Gallup interview process. And um, it's just a, a personality that I think that they're looking for, but to be that first one is, it, it's tough to get. Really difficult. Yeah. And then, so going back to something that you said about being, opening yourself up to being vulnerable to hearing that feedback and understanding that it's good to hear it and take it and implement it sometimes, but not always. What's the process like, or what did you see yourself um, doing when you, you said, okay, look, those are the aspects that I need to put into play next time versus that's not really relevant, or I disagree with that and leaving that behind. What was that journey like? I only got feedback from two managers that um, followed up with me. (laughs) And uh, so what I had to do was I took the questions and I still do this when I uh, pitch uh, the business for fundraising. I take the questions that that I'm asked, I write them down and I put them in a repository and then I go back and I answer them and I try to remember how I answered it. And then I try to really understand, is that the right answer that they are looking for? And if it is not, why? Like I could have said something that was completely opposite of where we were going because it just was how I answered for the first time. And maybe that that's the truth. That's why I answered it. But sometimes you have to craft your message differently. You need to position yourself differently, especially for the position that you're going for. And um, so for example, if you're going to do really strategic selling, or if you're going to do like quick, like you're calling a lot, you're going to have a high velocity of calls and 
they're they're two different things. What is your skill set? So that's how I started. And I also would take my iPad and I would answer the question and then I would listen back to it. And I would realize, oh, that was so, well, why did I sound like that? And it was just some self-realization, like, gosh, you, you didn't do that very well. And you have to, because we don't get feedback. I think feedback is really hard. I've, I've talked about it on my podcast about radical candor of trying to have that radical candor with each other. But it is really hard when you're in a fast moving environment and you're always trying to improve. Uh, but I think it asking for feedback is important. Those two people that did give it to me, I'm thankful because it did, it did change. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was like, you have no experience and I need someone that has called on a hospital before. And I'm like, all right, I can't change that. Right. Right. No, I, th- I appreciate you sharing that. And I just found that really fascinating and thought that it would be a really good story of, you know, it, it, I think it's something that we find a lot of people in these days, especially those, as you said, that are trying to get into the industry to mm-hmm. some fashion. Um, you know, I've actually spoken with people recently that they said, I'm willing to take a step back in my career because this is the industry that I want to be in. And they're still having those types of struggles. So being able to share that story is, is really great. Um, mm-hmm. So. I, I would have to say that I completely agree with Abby, you know, especially because I work with a lot of clinicians. One of the things that I hear from their perspective, and they're not looking to do always sales, but just, you know, how I feel like oh, there's there's no doors, there's no doors that are open. Um, so to really hear that, you know, just because the door does not open the first time you knock on it doesn't mean that if you know in your heart, like this is where mm-hmm. I belong, this is where I can succeed, that, you know, sometimes it is going to take a, you know, a bunch of no's before you really ever get anywhere. So mm-hmm. I'm really interested, though, about Checkable itself. You know, so before we started recording on today's podcast, um, Abby had actually mentioned something in passing to Patty. So I'm going to steal some of those from you. Um, but really about the idea of, you know, being a mom first and in doing some of my own preparation, you know, one of the statistics that I had found was that, you know, when you're looking at this, and this is from the Department of U.S. Department of Labor, is that even as recently as 2021, women accounted for over 80% of com- consumer purchasing decisions in the healthcare industry. And, you know, in a prior conversation when Patty and I were getting ready to have her on this podcast, she had said, you know, it was really hard where I'm I'm working and I'm wearing the, the you know, work person hat. But then at the same time, I'm having to take all this time off because a lot of those medical care needs, decisions, thoughts fell on my lap as well. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what that balance for you looked like and how you went from hey, my kid's sick again, into realizing that change needed to happen? Mm -hmm. Well, as moms, I just uh, listened to a a comedian who said, it was so random. The other day, this number called me and I answered the phone and it's like, you need to pick up Nicholas from school because he's sick. He has a fever. And he's like, I don't even know where the school is. Which school is it? And that's how it is for dads. Like, it's always the mom that gets called first. We get called first on that list. And it's our, it is our natural gift that we are nurturers. And when we have a career that we are so devoted to, we are always more devoted to our children. It just is. They're just part of who we are. And it is a, it's something that when our health 
is uh, is not at its peak for ourselves or for our children or for our spouses or our parents, then we our hearts are going to be out there trying to help them. Oh, how can I help you? Is it a fever? Can I make you food, rest, like whatever that is? And it's just who we are. My husband, I started this company because my husband's mindset when the kids are like, oh, dad, I have a sore throat. I don't, I don't think I can go to school. He's like, rub some dirt on it. You're fine. Here's an ice pack. <laughs> like, like, no, like we, it's strep. Like she has strep throat. She needs to go in and be seen. And that's, I, it's, it's just our, I don't know if it's, uh, I think that it's natural. I think all of us have it. Of course, there's some women that are like, no, and, and they stand that it, that doesn't affect them. But I created this company because I, I want us to manage our care at home more efficiently. And I think it can happen through rapid lateral flow testing, and then we can make it that much easier with telemedicine. And then pick up your prescription uh, at your neighborhood pharmacy. So, so getting a little bit more granular into how you got Checkable started, you know, you, you had this aha moment or you had this wonderful idea as we, we discussed right before we started recording of if only I could just do this before figuring out if this is a doctor's appointment or trying to ride out this wave. Um, really, once you had that, once you got that idea in mind, what did you do to get that launched? I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. what you've created is a really, really massive, impressive thing so far, and it's only going to continue to grow. So what was that first big step, though, to really get this thing going? Well, thank you so much for the compliment. I appreciate that. Um I, I took months. So I have some videos and pictures from when all of these, my kids, I have three of them were plagued with strep and it was a beautiful midsummer day that my husband had some work to do on the house at home. And I was going to visit my parents at the lake and, uh, three of them or two of them had gone down with strep earlier that week. And as I'm packing up, I'm feeling my, my, a tickle in my throat. I'm like, oh my goodness, am I getting strep? And I drive up there and I feel like I'm getting a fever. We get to bed, wake up the next morning and my daughter and I both have strep. And so we have to go in and use rural healthcare. And I literally sit there from 8.30 in the morning until 2.30 in the afternoon waiting to be seen because there were so many visits coming in. I mean, it was if you think about it, the one site that is in a 60 mile radius. And I just thought, okay, that one, I feel bad for this one practitioner who happened to be my neighbor um, at the lake. And I felt so bad for him. And then his staff, he only had two nurses. And then it kept that same sort of situation happened to me a number of times in the following year. I started documenting it. And at I have this picture where my daughter is so sick that she's laying on the table in the fetal position. And then the nurse practitioner has her back to her. And that's the picture. And she's charting. And she literally said like three words to my daughter. And we had to wait an hour and a half at the CVS Minute Clinic walking around Target um, to be seen. And it was then that I sat there and I went on Amazon and I just searched strep test. And I bought a strep test. It was delivered the next day. And I started swabbing my kids. And I started reading the directions. I looked at the packaging, really understanding lateral flow, uh, how to, you know, why doesn't it exist? 
And I started to talk to everyone in my network. I started to talk to moms on the soccer field at PTO. At I talked to school nurses. My kids were in three different schools at the time. And so I just started to like pull that string and everyone was like, yes, oh my gosh, like I would love to check my sore throat because it's the most annoying thing. And I, it, we got up, you know, nine months beforehand, we started to say, yep, this is something that's more than just an idea. I actually pitched it to my boss of the consulting firm. And he said, moms will never change their behavior from going into the clinic to check for strep. I'm like, I think you're wrong about that. Strongly disagree. For everybody who's just listening in, the faces that Abby and I just made were like, ah, it does not sound accurate. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I thought too. Yeah. And I was like, uh, and it was frustrating because I was still working for him. So it's like, all right, well, if you don't think that it's going to work, then I'm going to do it myself. Because I thought we could incubate the company within the consulting firm. And mm. I think we could have, although there's challenges with that when companies do that, so it's right how it ended up happening. But that journey, I the other thing is, do you have money? Businesses fail because you don't have access to capital. And yeah. so I went to JP Morgan to uh, with some other clients and I talked to other VCs and I pitched this in about two minutes. I said, do you think you could fund something like this? They're like, yeah, definitely fundable. And it gave me enough courage to take the leap in 2019, um, started full time on the business in Feb, or I'm sorry, in September of 2019. And then COVID happened in March of 2020. And then everyone's calling me like, where's the strep test? Why, why don't we have this at home strep test? (laughs) Oh, the sky started falling. You need me now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's, I mean, I think it's even burdened moms even more, um, as our responsibilities are, we change from working at home and then the kids are around. It's like, we're still managing our careers and our health that, I've really built the business on our our messaging. Our mission is all to empower moms to make clinical evidence-based decisions from home because Dr. Mom is always on call. I, you know that you made a couple really dynamic points to me, Patty. And one of the the speaking points about when I was first bringing people into the idea of, I, I think that the women in medtech focus is something that we need to talk about. One of the things that I had discussed was the mental load, the mental load of trying to do it all, of trying to wear all the hats, of being the person who knows the birthdays, the doctors, the teachers, the fr- the friend's best man, you know, the, the best friend's mom's name, you know, what that network looks like. And that's not a light burden. And then pairing that with the idea of so much of healthcare funding, products, development, goes into the idea of men first, of it's their opinions, it's their thoughts, which doesn't make sense when women are the ones that are actually making those healthcare decisions. You know, even today though, um, you know, only 2.5 billion of capital raises as recently as 2021 was in femtech, you know, mm-hmm. and you're seeing the more of that female leadership in those femtech manufacturers, but it's not true across the board. You know, how do you feel like that specifically has impacted your ability to capital raise, your ability to have, you know, to face those consulting bosses that say this doesn't seem viable and have to be like, well, you're out of touch guy. Like that's not, yeah. that's not the reality of the world we're living in. How do you, how do you feel like that shaped where you guys are today? Mm-hmm. 
I haven't ever heard something that you said about all of the like brain space that we have being a Mm -hmm. mom, like the best friend's mom's name and the phone number and all the communication that we get. It is a lot of responsibility. A lot of responsibility. And it's hidden responsibility. Yes. We don't give ourselves credit because we don't acknowledge it. Yep. Right. It is definitely hidden. Dad takes out the trash and makes a big production about like the trash is being taken out now, whether or not you get a new trash bag in that's debatable, but it's it, like, we make such a celebration of these minor things when the the thought that goes into keeping life moving, you know, yes. I, Hey, we're getting low on peanut butter. I need to add that to the list. It's that yeah. hidden workload that very few people acknowledge today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You are so right. And keeping, I'm going out of town. Um, I'm, I'm have the opportunity. I'm grateful for being on a panel at the consumer health products association, regulatory scientific and regulatory meeting. And, uh, me thinking of going out of town, I have a list running of things I have to do before I head out because I know it won't get done. And, and I don't know if my husband was in my position. I don't know if he would be thinking like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would be thinking about himself. Um, but those are things that I just like, oh, well, you mentioned peanut butter. Like I literally need peanut butter at home and I have it on my list of what I have to pick up at the grocery store. As well as like, what am I, what am I gonna wear? I think one thing of as women that we are judged for that men are not is our appearance and how we're put together and how polished we are, how prepared are we? And that's one of the things that I think I am, I am good because I've had to force myself to just like be ready in medical device sales. They don't even train you before you start selling. They're like, here's some sales slicks, get in the territory, start selling for six weeks, eight weeks, and then we're going to train you. And that's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to talk to a brain surgeon about a drill and I have no training, but you got to learn how to do it. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm good at that. But I think from being in the female, being a female in the space of pitching to men constantly, it is, I do feel like I'm judged differently than my male counterparts. Um, And whether that's age, whether that's because I have children, whether that's because I'm the breadwinner, I've, I've had people ask me, well, what does your husband do? And how much money are you making? And well, what does your husband do to make up? Like, what are do you, are you asking um, my male counterpart what their wife is doing? I'm I'm sure that I've never heard of that. Maybe they are. Um, Or do you think you can handle being a CEO and having your kids? Well, do you ask the males that too? Um, I mean, I think it's right to acknowledge, but it's it's those are things that I you you're resilient and you're moving forward. But if you sit back and think of it, you're like, that really sucked. Like, why did you ask me that? Because it it threw me in a different headspace and it throws you off your game, honestly. Yeah, I, it's interesting that you say that. And, and one of the things that did pop into my head when you were telling your origination story and, and how you first originally went to your boss and the, and the consulting firm was, well, if she had been a male, would 
she had been hit with the same amount of pushback or would it have at least been something of, you know, that might be a great idea. Let's explore that a little bit more, which we can sit here all day long and say that's probably where it would have gone and it could have gone a different path. But look at the path that it was able to take you down instead. And, you know, so while we have these frustrations and these things that we know that we're up against and that we have been in the past, one of the things that I do like to celebrate is it's now for it's it's now forced us to have to divert a little bit and and keep an eye out for all right let's figure out how to do this a little bit differently ultimately for it to for for it to come out a little bit better at least in my opinion or maybe that's being a little too pollyanna i can't decide some on some days you know so but it's you know these are the cards cards that were dealt with kind of like being handed a Welcome to the medical device world. Learn this brain drill and go talk to a neurosurgeon about it. Uh, I think that that's where we find ourselves a lot as as female leaders, founders, entrepreneurs as well, is if we do hit those roadblocks, it's forming that, okay, pivot, go somewhere else because we're just not willing to take no for an answer. And we're pretty creative that we can kind of come up with ways to be a little bit more disruptive. So it's interesting. I find myself to try to not get too caught up in that constant churn of, well, if I had just been a male, I would be here because I do that pretty frequently. Um, And if I, you know, what if my, if just my cart, my stars had been a little bit different, but then it's saying, well, I never would have challenged myself to do X, Y, Z if that had been the case either. So here I am. And where am I going next from this? So I I think your story is very telling of that too. It's a really good point. You don't want to sit in like, oh, well, because I, I'm a woman, I didn't get this. It's, it's hard to, because we do want to acknowledge that there there is some biases there or there is a difference in how we're um, approached and the questions mm-hmm. that we're asked and how our businesses and our way of thinking is perceived versus our male counterparts. But it, you're right, it shouldn't stop us. And you got to keep going because there are ones that are out there. I've had, I have one female investor and I have nine male investors. Um, my female investor is, Um, a very small um, minority shareholder, but I'm so thankful for her. And I'm thankful for all of the men that have come in to my vision and seen, yes, this is, this is a huge opportunity. Funny enough, one of them is 83 years old, hasn't (laughs) had kids in the house for a long time. And the other one doesn't have any kids and isn't even married. So it goes, it's like, I, I can't make any sense of that. How sure. how did my message resonate with them? Or maybe it's just that they understood the business part of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's got to be a combination of both. So you touched on something earlier, and I don't want to pivot too much off of the theme here because I absolutely love your story and what you're standing for. But I, you know, when it comes to the to resonating with the, you know, the 83 year old that hasn't had children in the house for forever, or the other man that didn't have children. Um, something that you said earlier about one of your experiences that led to this idea of being trapped in this rural situation and why you had to wait for so long for testing. That's where this market really has to be is because you do have moms and children aside. There are other patients out there that don't fall into that category that are fighting those same challenges as well. So the 83 year old might have found himself sitting there going, well, yeah, I've not wanted to go drag myself out to figure out why I'm ill today or what's going to be worth going to the doctor for if I only could do this from this this space. So, you know, I can see where that resonation is. 
But being able to continue to stand your ground and say, look, this got started because this is to help moms, busy moms, um, continue doing the right thing by their families. Um, you know, I think that's great. Uh, one of the questions I did have is like, how have you decided to expand on your other business lines? Because, um, you know, it's not just about the test that you have, but you have everything else that, it, that, they, that, that is accessible at the moment. So what was the driving force behind that? Uh, it's interesting that you talked about the rural care in conjunction with this question. The two reasons why um, I started the other line of or the portfolio of at-home diagnostics, other than strep, strep's the hero product, but I have a UTI test and a vaginal pH test. Uh, my mom had me when she was 40 and she's 82 now, and they live in Battle Lake, Minnesota. And that's the rural, I went to Fergus Falls. That's a rural healthcare center I went to that day. And for her to get checked, like she can't get in to see her general practitioner until December. She made the appointment in June and, uh, she will get frequent UTIs and she expresses the symptoms with dementia or uh, she'll be really thirsty. Uh, and then she is, she, she will end up, she has yeast infections, um, no bacterial vaginitis, but she has these two uh, indications that we can have the screening at home. It actually already exists, but we're not marketing to the right audiences. And mm -hmm. so for my mom, I literally gave them to her and I said, when you have symptoms, I want you to use these and then tell me what you're going to do. She's a nurse, she's trained. And so she had the symptoms, used them. And she's like, I just went on my telemedicine with Humana and I was able to get my prescription and dad was able to pick it up in Battle Lake rather than driving all the, you know, driving her to Fergus. And then with a vaginal pH, she uses that one all the time. And when you're, when you're post-menopausal, our bodies are so different and we dry up and it's like, you're not sure what's going on. So having a screening test at home, so you can get some idea because although a lot of, um, people that are my mom's age, talk about a doctor's appointment as like their event of their day, but it really shouldn't be. They shouldn't, it shouldn't be like the highlight of your week. It's hard to ask us, especially in rural. So for those tests, I just was, I'm really of the thinking that I think grandma needs it. I think mom needs it. And then daughter needs it too. And it's not just for one audience and everyone needs to have these at home and the breast milk strips. I don't, we don't have like a lot of innovation, breast pumps, actually. I can't believe the amazing innovation in breast pumps. I've really been researching this lately. And I think that's just so cool because I don't know about you two, but breast pumping when I was a rep sitting in my cold car, like plugging it into the car, it was awful. And so I was excited about bringing those two diagnostics to market of the alcohol screening. And then um, we have a nutritional value. Um, my mm -hmm. baby couldn't gain weight for a while. And I didn't know, was it me? Was it them? Like what's going on? And I just think that we need innovation in this space. Like that last question that you had about men's health versus women's health. And we just need, we need friendly products and they don't always have to be, you know, a, a class three medical device that's going to be earth shattering for um, really the insurance companies or, or the physicians. We need really basic things at home that make our lives easier. 
I think I, I during couldn't... our conversation, Patty, that, that what really resonated with me mm-hmm. was the idea of access to care. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and for a lot of Americans, um, you know, access to care is still a huge issue, whether it is that they're living in a rural community, that there may be only one doctor. You know, I, I don't know anybody who hasn't been sick, who has who has been told, like, I we're full today. You're going to have to come tomorrow. Right. And the idea of, oh, I'm, I'm feeling awful. What insurance coverage looks like. So I think that, you know, looking at how do I make care more affordable, make make it more accessible, make it, you know, where there is that greater degree of urgency of you need something now. Great. Here's here's a solution for you. I think that that's something that is really to be celebrated. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, during your journey, I know I know that you guys just started doing telemedicine earlier in this summer. How do you feel like that is evolving this this next phase of of access? Mm-hmm. Well, when I had the vision for the company, telemedicine was not what it is today, not as widely adopted. But the crazy thing about telemedicine is it's been around since the 60s, 50s, actually, like 1958 is when it wasn't Dr. Jay Saunders. Dr. Jay Saunders was the first one to really get it going within the military and brought it into the prison system in Texas. And it's really how how Teladoc started was that um, idea of telemedicine. So I knew that it's been around for a while, but would people adopt it? And through COVID, we all know that everyone needed access and telemedicine provided that. And for me now, it's <laughs> there's so many options of telemedicine that we're looking at that user experience and is it easier to, you have your diagnostic, you download your app to access uh, how to use the test, different screening things that you can use, and then access your telemedicine provider there. I I just want to have an option for people that's affordable, that's convenient, that access is so important. I think with the strep, it's going to be a game changer because everything literally is done within that system. Uh, but any telemedicine provider that is providing good care and access is so important. I mean, I, I don't know. I like hands-on. I don't think you should break. A, I think everyone should have a family practice provider, OBGYN or a pediatrician. It's That's important for someone to know you. But the way that we can access is is excellent. And and I hope at, at some point that we are a, a robust telemedicine provider uh, mm-hmm. that people trust. And in the meantime, I'm really focusing on that customer journey to make it very seamless. Well, and again, I really do appreciate the increased focus on on women's health. I mean, you know, we, we've been spouting the, the statistics Um as far as where most of the research, of course, was done on men and they're trying to come back now and, and at least revamp that a little bit and better understand women. I do see on a regular basis dosing of medication getting changed of, well, if you're female, it should actually be this. If you're male, it should actually be this, regardless of you know size and all that and all of that. So, I mean, I do think that we're seeing a little bit of that turn, but continuing to have some type of focus on that access to care specific to the, fem- the the female space, these are things that I don't think that would have ever been thought about that could potentially help further delay or further decrease those costs of care to open up more of those funds to increase that research that's so vitally needed. So, I mean, I think that this you're opening up an amazing world to um, something that that was probably not even thought about as short as even 20 years ago. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. You bet. 
Thank you for saying that. I agree. Um, I know we're getting to the end of our time. And so I just, one of the things that always resonates with me is is something that we've all talked about of, you know, what's the environment that I came into, you know, and, and realizing that there's challenges and realizing that, you know, it could be different. And if it was, it you know, something else would be. And I think that we've got the responsibility even to say, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can for me, for my peers, but really to leave a better foundation for the women that are going to come after us. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that they're going to see more equity. They're going to see more opportunity. They're going to see a wider variety of products. And as Abby mm-hmm. just said, you know, better care that they'll be able to receive because we're realizing that, you know, women are just not the, you know, somebody to be standing next to men, but really are decision makers in their own space. They need their own care. They need you know, research on the products and health concerns that are primarily their issues. Um, so really, I think it, it's a fabulous thing that you're bringing to the market, Patty. Um, you know, when we were talking about it internally, I know that everyone on our team was really excited to have, you know, somebody in, in your entrepreneurial space coming in and joining us today. So, you know, I just want to say thank you again for that. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a great conversation. Okay. And if there's anything that that I can leave any women that are listening, uh, it, it is it's really scary to go out on your own and leave your comfort zone and leave a comfortable um, corporate job. And, and I had the same feeling every time that you make a jump, there's lots of uneasiness there. And Colleen, you said that you're looking at different things that I've said. And something that I do always say is that you will never regret betting on yourself. And I really believe that a hundred percent that if you, especially as women, that we are going to be prepared, we are going to surround ourselves with the right people and we're not going to be aloof about it. And I think that is because you most likely have children, you have people that rely on you and bet on yourself. You definitely won't regret it. And if anyone ever wants to reach out to me to just check in and for inspiration, because I have a lot of bad days and I have to pick myself up. I am that person. So go bet on yourself. Abby, any final thoughts? I I don't know how you follow that up, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, uh, You know, I've heard that from, you know, a a similar type message from that from several people in the past and, and, and nothing could ring more true where at the end of the day, and again, we'll go back to your, the beginning of your story where 62 interviews and you said, you know what, I'm still going to bet on myself. Um, it, eventually it is a numbers game. And so at the end of the day, if you're betting on yourself and putting it out there, I think that's going to be the success that you're looking for and make you a little bit unstoppable. But I don't know how I follow that up. So, but thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you to um, Abby today for joining us on our Women in Tech discussion. And then also a special thank you to our guest, Patty. Um, my key takeaways from today's conversation was don't be afraid to be told no. You're making progress even when you may not realize it. And the greatness of betting on yourself pays off. Be sure to visit her organization on the web at checkable.com. And for our listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you've not already done so, be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode of the MedTech Business Academy. And thank you for tuning in.